specialist. Uh, my foot's almost sealed up, closed up. <laughs> I, I told Cindy, I said, what did we mess with that other gal for? <laughs> so, But uh, they put me in a cast, and it's one of those type of casts that's a temporary type cast. And so twice a week I go, and they cut it off, and they look at it and put another one on. And uh, off we go. But uh, grateful for uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a new foot every two days. <laughs> uh, uh, it's it's been a been a journey, but thank you for your prayers and your understanding of my lack of mobility. But uh, praise the Lord. An older couple is uh, lying in bed, and uh, uh, one morning, and having just woke up from a good night's sleep, and he takes her hand and he sit and and she says, "Hey, don't touch me." Well, why not? He asks her. She answers, because I'm dead. Husband says, what are you talking about? We're both lying here in bed together and talking to one another. She says, no, I'm definitely dead. And he insists, you're not dead. What in the world makes you think that you're dead? Because she said, I woke up this morning and nothing hurts. (laughs) So she was sure that she was dead. Now, that has nothing to do with the message today. I just, you, we need to laugh. And that, that, that one finally worked. Hallelujah. All right. Oh, doomed to repeat. We've been looking at the children of Israel. And, uh, Jeff, this is a little bit loud. Could you remember me? Um, the children of Israel have, um, they, they were 400 plus years in captivity in Egypt. Uh, God said, I'm going to free you. Since Moses in, Moses begins to lead the children of of Israel out to the promised land that God had promised them. And uh, all along that journey, their, their true colors show up. When they were obedient and did what God asked them to do and commanded them to do, life went well. And when they chose not to do the things that God wanted them to do, life didn't go so well. You and I, in 2019, still have that as a lifestyle. When we do the things that God wants us to do, things usually go well. When we don't, they don't. So I want to encourage you. Don't be doomed to repeat past issues in your life. Jesus died on the cross for them, unhitched them. You unhitch them. Well, preacher, that's a lot easier than said than done. I understand that. I do. But are you working on it? Or have you just thrown up your hands and said, well, it's inevitable? No, you can do it. I believe with all of my heart, more than ever, I look at all the turmoil around us and in our, in our world and in our country and the topics that people are upset about and things that break your heart, really. They break your heart. Well, don't you think they break the heart of God as well? How much longer, Lord, will you tarry? How much longer, Father, will you hold your son from coming? And hopefully, hopefully in the very near future, we're going to see Jesus come back. Won't that be exciting? That we've been alive to see him come? Wow. Now, they've been preaching that for a long time. And we're going to keep preaching it for a long time more. 
until He comes. But be of great cheer, folks, and be, a, be encouraged because our God is still on the throne. And our God is one day going to send His Son Jesus back to get us. That's what He promised, amen? He said, just as you saw Him go, the angels told the apostles, just as you saw Him go, you're going to see Him come again. There's the promise. So be of good cheer. Be hopeful. In a world of chaos, be hopeful. As Bryant challenged us this morning, will they find something to arrest you for? Will they profile you for being a Christian? Man, that's powerful this morning. Powerful. Now, I want us to look at uh, a message today talking about what we can learn about backsliding. How many of you know what backsliding means? Okay, throw out a definition. What do you, what do you think it means? Anybody? Say it again. Slipping up. Okay. Anybody else on backsliding? Going back to your old ways. Well, that fits the theme, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear a name mentioned at all. <laughs> You know, I guess if you're guilty mind, guilty minds. <laughs> Moonwalking. Backwards, okay. We could we could just say Michael Jackson. <laughs> no. Walking back, yeah. What else? Backsliding. Any others? Turn away from God. Yeah. Good. Okay. Is backsliding permanent? That's the I'm sorry? Doesn't have to be. That's the great news, isn't it? Is it is not a permanent condition. I remember uh, years ago talking to somebody about their walk with God. And, and that, this is the phrase that they used. They said, well, I'm just an old backslider. Like, I guess that meant, don't talk to me because I'm lost. <laughs> and my comment to the person was, hey, you know, it's not permanent. That can change. And so I want us to look at Israel and, and how that affects us. We're going to be in Numbers 13 and 14, a little sprinkling of Deuteronomy in there. But I want you to, to, to take a look at this. And if you have your Bibles, let's, let's open those. In fact, let's hold it up. I forgot. I'm getting way ahead of myself. If you have your Bibles, hold them up or your electronic device with your Bible on it. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand. Powerful Word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. And here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Now, you've already hugged your neighbor, so we're going to move on. All right. So open those Bibles to uh, Numbers and uh, 13 and 14. In chapter 13 and verse 27... Israel was within sight of the promised land. And they were settling. They were getting ready to settle for a great backslide. That's the first thing I want you to notice. But in verse 27 of chapter 13, it says that they found this land. They sent out spies. And they found in this land that it truly flowed with milk and honey. It was a 
prosperous land. It was a land like God had promised them it would be like. All they had to do was take it. Go in and possess that land. The people wanted, however, to walk by sight. Now, if you were to jump back over to Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 22, you're going to find out it says, Every one of, of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us and let them search. And let them search the way by which we should go up. So in the process of getting ready to seize the land, God wanted and sent spies in to convince the people, the bulk of the people, the congregation, that it was going to be okay. You're going to be able to take this thing. And you want those twelve spies to come back with a positive, exciting fulfilling and thrilling report, right? Whew. Can't wait for these guys to get back. Wonder what they're going to find. Oh, man. Can you imagine the buzz going on around the coffee shop at 7 o'clock on Tuesday morning as they're out there in the eating manna burgers and manna omelets and manna everything. Then I jump back into Numbers 13. Verses 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites for each ancestral tribe. Send one of its leaders. So he identifies who these twelve are going to be. So the Lord commands Moses, sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. So these were all leaders. They weren't just old common folks sitting in the pew. These were leaders. From each tribe to go. They're supposed to come back with a good report. Don't give in to their weakness. Send these spies out. Israel is on the verge of leaving all their problems. No water, no food. It was hot, no shade. They were in the desert. They were getting ready to leave that. Move into that promised land. But sometimes, leaders go blind. Amen? We have them called politicians in this country. (laughs) They call themselves leaders, but they're blind. Did you hear about the guy? This new movie with Sandra Bullock out. She wears a blindfold over their eyes. And I'm not, I can't quite get the purpose of the movie but whatever you see that's a fear of yours becomes a reality or something like that anyway this young man decided he would try to drive that way so he blindfolded himself and had a wreck he couldn't understand why it was going to be his fault and they live among us folks they live among us but sometimes leaders get blind back over deuteronomy The plan pleased Moses as well to send them out. And God so often will use the most amazing things to get our attention. He used this desert experience to get the attention of the Israelites so they could actually take the land. Now there were several 
hundred thousand, close to a million people that left Egypt. And you got to feed them, got to water them. And you know, as they marched through the wilderness for 40 years, their sandals didn't wear out. You ever, you ever read that? They never had to replace their sandals. And Nike would go broke. But God uses these experiences. For instance, Joseph. 14 years he's a slave and put in jail. David, for 13 years, Saul tried to kill him. Remember the Apostle Paul? He had a desert experience. It was during that desert experience that he received revelation of the grace of God. He was the Jew of Jews. But God taught him grace and mercy like you and I have been taught, like you and I have received. And that should encourage your heart. That should bring hope into your life. That God, has, through His grace and mercy and love, has forgiven you and forgiven me. And we, in turn, then can share that with others. There's the key, isn't it? Huh? Even Jesus had a wilderness experience, 40 days in the wilderness, being tempted by Satan himself. Now, you and I don't, you know, we don't get the call for the big guy to come get us. He just sends the peons out to get us. And that worked pretty well. <clears throat> but Jesus had Satan himself. Can you imagine rounding that corner? He's been out there in the wilderness for a while. No water, no food. And he smells homemade bread. Just so happens to have some homemade bread with apple butter. I'm sure it was apple butter. I mean, there's no sense having homemade bread without apple butter. But you got to put butter on it first and then put the apple butter on top. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Can I get hurry up, preacher? We're hungry. <laughs> Second thing I want you to understand about our story here in Numbers 13, 14. Now we're going to dig into it. Is there was always there is always a choice, isn't there? There's always a choice. My uh, family has decided to help me maintain a diet. Since I have to have my feet propped up, I am dependent on someone to come and get my food and bring it to me. And I just want you to know. How mean these people have been to your preacher. I mean, it's, it's, it's downright ugly. I know. Oh, I see the littlest record player in the world playing My Heart Bleeds for You. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I got you. But here's the good news. 30 pounds later, I've lost 30 pounds. They're starving me to death. I'm, I'm telling you. People. <laughs> We're going to, let's move right back into the message here today. I knew I wasn't going to get a sympathetic crowd here. Let's go to Numbers 13, verse 3. And let's see what God's Word has to say to us. Mercy, mercy. So the Lord commands Moses. Uh, at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert. Uh, he's talking about these leaders that he sent out. Since 12 men, each a tribal leader. Don't forget that. 
And what was the task of these twelve men? They were to go and to check what they were going to inherit. What were they going to encounter on the other side of the Jordan River that might create a problem for them? Look down at verse 18 of chapter 13. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. So see, he's wanting to find out ahead of time, what what are we facing here? Are we going to be able to really take this thing? And what's it going to cost us to take it? We all want our church to grow numerically. Amen. I don't think there's a person sitting here today that would say, no, no, no. We all all do. Well, in order for that to happen, each of us has a responsibility in that process. Leaders are to lead. People are to follow. And we're to encourage people to come and be a part of what we do. Okay? It's really that simple. When you're having coffee this week, invite somebody to come with you. 76% 76% will come if you offer to feed them, either before church or after. They can endure anything as long as there's a meal attached to it. I'm that way. You're that way. We're all that way. So let me encourage you. So they go out. See if there's few. See, Do a head count, Moses is telling them. In verse 19... He says, check about their defenses. Do they have walls? Are they unprotected? You see it in verse 19? He he also wanted to check the fertileness of the land. In verse 20, he says, is the soil fertile or poor? You want to know how many trees they had? Verse 20, but I want proof. So I want you to bring back, not only are you sneaking into this land, but you're going to bring back (laughs) some stuff to prove what you're going to tell us. In other words, I don't trust you guys enough to tell me the truth. I want to see it. Now, how many of you are like that? How many of you were like that when you accepted Christ as your Savior? See, you come skeptical. You've heard sermons all of your life. You've heard grandmas pray for you all your life. Your mothers have prayed for you all your life. Your dad gave up on you a long time ago. But we come sometimes skeptically to the cross. Is it really? Can he really do this? And if we wait till later in life to come to the Lord and make a decision for Christ, it's even worse because we've got some life in, under our belt. And we have messed up. That's why it's always best to come early. You see. About 10, 11 years old. That's the key time to get a person in Christ. Sometimes they come earlier. Sometimes they come later. But that 10, 11, 12 range right in there. That's a perfect time for them to come to Christ. And name is their Savior. Tend to keep them about then. Okay? If you don't get them before 18... Your percentages drop way off that you're ever going to get them. Okay? So, bring back some samples. So their first report, verse 27, chapter 13, their first report, the land flows with milk and honey. 
In verse 23, if you jump back up to verse 23, they brought a cluster of grapes so large that it took two men to carry them on a pole between them. That's some pretty good sized grapes now. I'm ready to eat those grapes. And I know they're seedless. Amen. Doctor told me years ago I need to drink a cup. I've told you this, a cup of red wine for my heart. I just, I just don't like the taste of wine. I never have. I tried it. So I went back to him. I said, how about red grapes? Man, this would help my heart right here if I had these red grapes. They were huge. Can you imagine the watermelons that they found? But what was their second report? Their enemy was too fierce to defeat. Their cities were too big to capture. Oh, we'll be defeated. They're as large as giants. We look like mere bugs among the giants. Our enemy will not be afraid of us. Somehow there's victory if you can make your enemy fear you. Right? But what's wrong with the report of the ten, sp- ten spies? What, what's the... See, the twelve went, but ten of them, this is their report. You see, they saw the problems through their weaknesses and inabilities. Boy, if that didn't, if that didn't us today. My biggest struggle in life is that I see the problem much bigger than me. I love it. Every time they take this cast off my foot, the doctor looks at the, at the ulcer that was, you know, I always thought it was like this. <clears throat> little bitty thing. And they keep saying every time they take it off, they go, man, that thing is so small. I can't see it. I don't, I don't want to see it. It's an ugly thing to me. And I asked Cindy, I said, is it smaller? Because she's seen it from day one. She said, yeah, it is smaller. Great. When is it going to disappear? I don't know. But these reports, they were afraid. In verse 28, they began to say the word, but. But. But they are powerful people. They compare their enemies to themselves, not to God. One of the biggest mistakes that we make as believers is when we face a problem, we face it on our strength and not God's strength. Because if we'll face it with God's strength, there's nothing that big. Nothing that can take us down. Because God is God. We have won the victory. It's ours. Let's claim it. They forgot, and this is so important, they forgot past victories against the Egyptians and the Amalekites. They forgot God's promise to give them this promised land. They forgot about His Shekinah glory in the cloud that led them by day and the pillar of fire at night. They forgot about that. They forgot that the Red Sea, whoop, parted. And they went across on dry land and then it closed up and 
took out Pharaoh's army. They forgot. They forgot that when they were hungry, they just got up in the morning and gathered enough manna to feed their family for the day. They forgot that when they were in the desert and needed water, that Moses could strike a rock and water would flow. They forgot. How much have you and I forgotten? You see, God has brought victory upon victory upon victory in our lives. Just think about it. I want you to think back 30 days. 30 days. God answered your prayers. He did. He did. Well, I, 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 because you're not writing it down. Stop and think about the last time you prayed and asked God to help you. And boom, all of a sudden he did. So that means he heard your prayer. Of all the prayers, of every prayer that's ever been prayed, he heard your prayer. Because he answered your prayer. You see what I'm saying? Look and learn. But what was the result of the negative report? Let's go to chapter 14 now. In verse 1. That night all the people of the community... What's your Bible say? Raised their voices and wept aloud. Oh, no. It's like the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans Saints just crying. They should be in the Super Bowl. Because all those referees had blindfolds on. Didn't see that pass interference at the end of the game. If that is the call that's going to cause you to win a game, you should have never won it in the first place. You see what I'm saying? If you're going to let the little trip-ups in life keep you from serving an almighty God, shame on you. Shame on you. People wept. They were fearful. Verse 2. They turned against their leaders. Says they complained against Moses and Aaron. Always the leaders he could turn on. <laughs> Worthless leaders. In verse 2 it also says, if, we had, if only we had died in Egypt. See, they were already mentally backsliding in their minds. And then jump down to verse 4. Let us... Return to Egypt. They were backsliding in their actions now. They thought about it. Now they're beginning to act. Well, let's just go back to Egypt. And then, of course, go back up to verse 3. Then, of course, the most important is the blame game. And who, who do they blame? God. It's God's fault. Why has the Lord let us become victims here? And then jump down to verse 10 because all the accusations now turn violent. The congregation said, let's stone them with stones. Let's kill these boys. <laughs> They're leading us the wrong way. We're going to take them out. But Joshua and Caleb made a positive choice. In verse 6 of chapter 14, it says, they couldn't believe the people turned against them. They tore their clothes. It was a sign of mourning. Verse 7. They were positive because they said, The land, it was exceedingly good. In verse 8. 
They, had, they showed their faith in God. He says, the Lord will bring us into this land. Chapter 14, verse 9. They saw victory. It says, the people, they are our bread. We can do this. And I love the fact that whenever we come to God with either negativism or positive uh, outlooks, He will have a response. And God had a response for these folks. Let's look at verse 10, chapter 14. I love this. Love this. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. God showed up (laughs) in a big way. He visits them. He's exasperated because people wouldn't believe what He had done for them, even after all the miraculous signs that I've done among you, according to verse 11. Verse 12, He then judges them. He says, I will disown them and judge them. Jump down to verse 22. They have complained against Me ten times. And then verse 23, their punishment is tied to their disobedience. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see the promised land. You see, there's a time in our life where if we run from God enough, we'll lose everything. Everything. All the blessings, all the massive grapes and watermelons, you'll lose them. By your own choice. And their reward is tied in verse 30 to obedience. It says, the only exceptions will be Caleb and Joshua. They were the only two of the twelve who came back and said, oh, we got this. Our God is a great God and we can do this because of Him. The little song we sing in children's church, ten men went to spy, twelve men went to spy on Canaan, ten were bad and two were good. That's right. Two of them out of the twelve said, we can do this. With God's help, we can do this. And when God's involved, there's an immediate result and consequence. Look at verses 36 and 37. It says, The ten men Moses sent were struck dead with a plague. They they were struck dead with a plague. God didn't mess around. You remember in the New Testament, the book of Acts, when Peter had put out a call for people that had excess could they bring it into the storehouse? And Ananias and Sapphira said, You bet, we're going to sell a piece of land, bring it in. Well, they sold their land, but they didn't bring all of it. And Peter said, You've lied to the Holy Spirit. Because he looked at him and he said, If you brought it all, what did they say? Yeah, got it all, Roger. Right he said, You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And so what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Well, they left that church and went to another church. <laughs> yeah, they went, to a, they went somewhere. 
Because the Bible says that they dropped dead on the spot. That might increase giving at a church if you saw that happen, you know, during offering time. <clears throat> but the point is, is that don't lie to God. Don't try to trick God. Don't try to... If He calls you, receive the calling. Now, let me give you quickly six lessons that you can learn from backsliding others. I, I put seven in your outline, but there's only six. Number one, don't test God's patience. Ten times the children of Israel tested Him. That's what He said. Ten of those guys tested Him. But don't test God's patience. Second thing is the majority are not always right. You know that, don't you? Majority is not always right. Just because the television news outlets tell you something, just because you read it on the internet, it's got to be right. Amen. Hey, hallelujah. Right? Yeah. Number three, don't quit when your goal is in sight. Don't quit. Now's the time to dig in deeper and to, to press on and persevere. The cross is right there. We're almost home. Jesus, come back. Let's hear the trumpet call of God. The eastern sky is going to roll up like a scroll. Woo! And Jesus is going to step out. And He's going to call us home. That's a promise you can put it in the bank. Amen. Number four, the desert experience makes some stronger, but it also eliminates others. See, what you've walked through, you've come through. You know people that haven't been able to walk that walk, right? But you've made it. Number five, remember the track record. God expects us to make decisions for the future based on His past guidance. On His past guidance. Don't forget that. Don't forget that He's brought you through before. And if He brought you through before, He'll bring you through again. He will. And sometimes, and often, oftentimes, it's even in a greater way, better way. And then lastly, look at your problems through God's eyes. I don't have a problem. God's got a problem, but I don't have a problem. And if God's got the problem, I can assure you it won't be a problem. Nope, won't be a problem. Remember how you used to look at your dad that way? There's no problem that he can't overcome. And when you're a little kid growing up, you, everything, dad could always take care of it. Yeah. Yep, took care of it. Because you see, that's the type of Heavenly Father we have. There's not a problem that he can't handle. He could handle parting the Red Sea. He could handle marching around the walls of Jericho seven times and the walls crumble down. He could do that. He could handle that. He could. He can handle sin by sending a son, his son to cover it. Trained as a girl to be a concert pianist and a competitive ice skater, former National Security Advisor Condoleezza Rice when she was 47, 
her Christian faith undergirded her. During an August 4th Sunday school class at the National Presbyterian Church, she explained what inspires her. Here's a little excerpt from that report. Although I never doubted the existence of God, I think, like all people, I've had some ups and downs in my faith. And when I first moved to California in 1981 to join the faculty of Stanford, there were a lot of years when I was not attending church regularly. One Sunday, I was in the Lucky's supermarket, not very far from my house. I was among the spices, and an African-American man walked up to me and said he was buying some things for his church picnic. And he said, do you play the piano by any chance? She said, yes. And they said they were looking for someone to play the piano at church. It was a little African-American church right in the center of Palo Alto. A Baptist church. So I started playing for that church. And that got me regularly back into church going. My goodness, God has a long reach. I mean, in the Lucky's supermarket on a Sunday morning. You ever lost your way? You ever stopped using your gifts? Whether through sin or simple complacency... Rest assured, God will come looking for you. It is His will to restore you and to, and to bring you back to a place of fellowship and service. In Matthew eighteen twelve, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? In Psalm 119, verse 176, it says... I've strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this time this morning. May we learn from our story of Israel today. How twelve men, leaders of the tribes of Israel, were sent out to the promised land to spy on the land. To see if it was going to be a difficult task to take that land and possess that land. Ten of them came back with partially good news. Outweighed by the bad news. But two, Joshua and Caleb, they went... They saw and they believed. They believed that with you, everything was possible. And so, God, I'm asking today, is there someone in this room today who just needs that understanding, who just needs that extra pat on the back, that extra push to say, take one more step. God, I love the little picture I saw this week where it said, I threw in the towel. I was giving up. And then, God, you picked up the towel and threw it back in my face and said, Hey, we're just about ready to take the next step. Come on. God, is there one here today so discouraged, so beat down, 
They just need your, your word of encouragement. And will they have received it today? God, would your spirit move in their heart? Would they respond to you today? If they need prayer, let us pray for them. If they need a church home, join this one. If they need you as their Savior, baptism is waiting. God, we're ready to teach them, to love them, to care for them. We want to leave here full of hope and encouragement. Because the task is great, but you are greater. Is there one today that would respond? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.